Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films, everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we're talking about making micro-budget features, the new found footage horror screamers, and how to actually make and release indie films, and how to raise finance for them as well. I am Giles Alderson, producer of horror comedy A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, director of the vampire documentary World of Darkness, and the psychological horror feature film The Dare, co-written with Johnny Grant, and the new vegan documentary. Myself and Dan have been very busy, news of which will be coming soon. So, before I tell you, though, about our collaboration with Raindance... Yes, our collaboration with Raindance. Let's first go to our segment called Indie Filmmaker Shoutouts. We want to keep supporting indie filmmakers like ourselves, so we want to start shouting about screeners, kickstarters, indiegogos, fundraisers, etc. So if you have anything to promote, then remember, uh, message me on Twitter, at Giles Alderson, or at FilmmakersPod, and we'll give it some love. So, this week's shoutouts are to Ethel short film it's now on indiegogo that is the team behind tango one trish ryberchick and sasha bennett who were on the podcast not so long ago and they're making their film along with director johnny wright about alzheimer's it's such a worthy cause they have professor green jj hamblet and miriam margolis in the cast no less so head to indiegogo search ethel short film or why not head to 365 flicks podcast who have Trish talking about the whole film on the latest podcast. So do that, support them if you can. Drew Horner and his film Exist. It's a psychological thriller horror about mental health. Similar tone at the moment. And it's halfway through its Indiegogo campaign. Any help you can give him and that film Exist, much appreciated. Um, So I've already donated to both. If you want to support... If you want to support the indie filmmakers, click on the links in the show notes, or if nothing else, find them on Twitter and retweet them. Show support. That's all you can do. So other shout-outs to our big uh, TFP tribe, the guys who push and retweet and show us some love for doing what we do for free and making us feel warm and fuzzy inside as they do it. And this week's shout-outs are to Will Kenny. Thank you, dude. Uh, director Neil Johnson, you've been brilliant this week. Thank you, man. Really appreciate all your support. Um, Shariah Lashar, Simeon Willis, Stu Laurie, and the Fair City podcast, Steve and Dave. Uh, thank you not only for having me as a guest on your podcast, because you made me laugh, you're real joy. Um, that podcast will be out soon, so why not follow them on Twitter and you'll be the first to hear that. But also, just generally, for all your love and support as well. So thank you, guys and girls. I really, really do appreciate it. Keep retweeting. Keep telling people about the podcast and get the love out there more people hear about it more people will learn all the stuff we've learned especially last week's podcast with um peter dumphy i mean that's just incredible if you've not heard that go there listen to that all about seis raising finance talking to investors it's invaluable as a filmmaker you need to know this stuff it often doesn't get taught it's on the podcast it's free head there now the podcast before this one subscribe to us on itunes um really means a lot to us if you haven't already but what we the most important thing here is we really appreciate the time you take to listen to us so thank you um so before i introduce this week's guest let me tell you about rain dance rain dance is not only a brilliant film festival but it also runs amazing film courses they are massive supporters of indie films like ourselves so we got together and thought we would support each other to give you discounts on their courses. I cannot recommend their courses highly enough. So to get a discount means you have no excuses not to learn to be a better filmmaker. Honestly, I'm over the moon that we can provide this for you. So I sat down for a quick chat with Elliot Grove, the founder of Rainouts, to announce this. Have a listen. So, I am here with Raindance Film Festival and Training Centre founder, Elliot Grove. Hello, Elliot. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. Welcome to Raindance. How are you? Oh, man, I'm good. I'm really good. (laughs) Do you know what? I'm really excited about our collaboration, and we're announcing it now that Raindance and the Filmmakers Podcast are joining forces, and this is just super, super news. You know what? Pain is temporary, but film is forever, but forever 
film has pain. So we got to help each other. And that's great to be with you guys. That's great work. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And we love what you're doing. It's all about supporting indie filmmakers, which is what we do. It's what Raindance do. So a great side of this is that Raindance are giving us a discount on their courses if you're listening to the Filmmakers Podcast. So you wonderful people out there, now you can get a wonderful discount on Elliot's courses. Do you know how much the percentage is yet, Elliot? No, no one's told me what the percentage okay, is. Okay, I'm about to tell you. Um, so first of all, before we do that, can you tell us about the latest course that is happening on the 18th? 18th of June, that's a Monday night here at Craven Street next to Charing Cross. Kira Ann Pelican is doing a course called Moneyball for Filmmakers. This is where you can predict your income. Now, she's did some study on Facebook. Did you know that, that if you have as few as 50 Facebook fans or likes, they can tell whether or not you went to university, what sex you are, what race you are. And if you happen on your little minuscule Facebook, say something like, I don't know, like what Israel's doing to, in Palestine, you're more likely to buy Nike trainers. And the inverse, if you're pro-Israeli, you're more likely to buy Adidas. And this is the information they're selling to the brands. Oh, wow. So she goes off to Hollywood last summer and looks at the brands, if you like, of the characters in the tentpole big release American films and was able to predict within a few percentage points of the opening weekend box office, Incredible. which is terrifying. It's terrifying and incredible at the same time. <laughs> So how do you make your you, film? going to say, yes. And how do you make money? Mm-hmm. How can you sort of predict that? Mm-hmm. Moneyball for filmmakers and film investors. Right. 18th of June. Now, what discount did they tell you? So I've been told the discount code is RDPodcast20, which means it's 20% off. What? Yes. Anyone who's listening to this podcast gets 20% off at Raindance. Oh, my God. My bank manager is going to kill me. I, I, it's it, only... I thought it was 10%. No, nope, too late. It's 20. It's done. You've just... Oh, well, that's what I was told. Well, I hope nobody takes this course because we'll <laughs> lose money every time someone comes. 20%. But, you but sure? think of all those independent filmmakers you're going to be supporting and getting, helping out in their careers. I know. It's great. It's great. And But what's what's the code again? So RD Podcast 20. Go to the link in the show notes now. Click on that course. Type in RD Podcast 20 and you get 20% RD Podcast off. 20. Yeah, which or means... 20%. Uh, Rain Downs Podcast that's 20. That's a steal. It's, it's highway robbery. You know it's that. highway robbery. It is indeed. Uh, so, uh, Elliot, I'm honestly, I'm overjoyed with what we're doing and the collaboration we're doing here. So thank you very much for joining forces. And thank you. And big blush for all those kind words that you've been saying about Raindance. So no problem at all. Honestly, it's a wonderful place here. They've got so many great courses. Check out raindance.org and check out all their other courses. Honestly, it's worth doing. I've been on courses here and it's fantastic. I promise you. So I'm looking forward to our collaboration. There should be more of these coming up. So do stay tuned. For now, Elliot, thank you very much. Great. Thank you. And welcome to Raindance. And welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Cool. <laughs> That's wonderfully cheesy. I love it. <laughs> right. Now on with this week's show. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Raindance. Thank you, Elliot. We are delighted to join forces with you and offer 20% off to our Filmmaking Podcast gang. This is only for you, by the way. Only for the people who listen to the podcast or follow us on Twitter. No one else gets this. No one. So it's a little bit special. Remember RD Podcast 20. Feel special right now. I am. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Right. On to today's podcast. Joining us to talk about filmmaking, how to raise finance for your films and chat about his new horror movie Screamers is writer, producer and actor Tom Malloy. Now, we had a little bit of a problem with the podcast recording this week. It was on Skype, and Skype just messed us around, and it sounded terrible and echoey. You'll hear it. I've done my best to clean it up. But what it didn't do is record some of the beginning, so I'm going to do that now. So Tom is an award-winning actor. He he wowed Hollywood at first with his stunning turn in the indie cult favourite Graves End, which was produced by Oliver Stone. Tom actually sort of became a trendsetter. He's one of the first successful triple hyphen actor, writer, producers. Over the years, Tom has raised more than 25 million in private equity from independent finances and has written, produced, and starred or co starred in nearly all the films that his company, Trick Candle Productions, has made. Some of these films include Hero of the Underworld, the film Ashley, uh, the dance romantic drama Love and Dancing, which is directed by Rob Iscove. He directed She's All That. And it stars Amy Smart, Tom obviously is in it, Billy Zane, Rachel Dratch and Betty White. Uh, the films are the psychological thriller The Alphabet Killer, 
which was directed by Rob Schmidt, who directed Wrong Turn. Uh, and that stars Elijah Dushku, Kerry Ulls, Tom, obviously, Timothy Hutton, Michael Ironside, and Oscar winner Melissa Leo. And his first film that he produced, and the first one he raised the finance for, it's a thriller directed by Mary Lambert, from who directed Pet Cemetery, called The Attic. That stars John Savage, Tom, obviously, and the now very famous Elizabeth Moss. And Tom's recent film is Screamers. It's a brilliant, low-budget found footage horror that is out now. So, again, apologies for the bad quality of this uh, podcast recording. Nothing I can do about it, but I still wanted you to hear it because it's so good. So bear with us. All right, cool. So without any further ado, here's the podcast with the wonderful Tom Malloy. Enjoy. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast, Tom. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Honestly, it's, I can't wait to talk to you about all the bits and pieces. It's quite a big, extensive list of credits there and producing credits as well. And you've, you've, you've been working for a long time in this business. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, grinding along. There's been, um, you know, the business has changed in a lot of different ways, but um, hopefully I've been kind of riding the wave of that change in positive ways and uh, things are going great. Yeah. Super, super. Yeah, no, the, the industry has changed massively over the last, well, 10 years for sure. But even in the last three years, it's changed again. It's like had another shift in the indie filmmaking world. Um, and, and that's a fascinating place to be if, you, if you're doing well in it. It's great. It's, it's tough for those people starting out, but um, it, it, it's a good place to be right now, right, indie film? Uh, you know, I would say that there's definitely, it's it's on the upswing. There was a time when it was going really great, you know, maybe about gee, 15 years ago. And then it started, yeah. once people stopped buying DVDs, that, that changed everything, you know, things went downhill. But now it's kind of coming back, people are starting to figure out the BOD markets and all that stuff, and it's hopefully on the upswing. So, yeah. Yeah, good. I hope so, too. Let's let's talk about your start, because you were in a film called Graves End, which is kind of your first movie, right? Yeah, that was. That was, and, that was definitely my first movie, yeah. Wow. And, and Oliver Stone ended up being one of the producers on it, which is incredible. So y- you were an actor. That was your main drive to make indie films, was, was being an actor and putting yourself in, in roles, right? Right. That's how it started. It was, you know, after kind of Gravesend came out and gosh, we had Oliver Stone producing it and we we got it to a certain level and I was getting an agent and I I had big auditions. I realized that I needed to do more. You know, it was like I was going up against established stars and um, I so I just started kind of creating my own projects by learning everything about the business. And that was the first start that kind of pushed me into it, you know, and and said, okay, now I got to I got to learn how to write. I got to learn how to be a producer. I knew I, I could act and those other things. I just started to just work hard and, and learn them all. Mm. There's something you say in your book, which is, which is fantastic. I've read it three times. Oh, wow. uh, it's honestly for any indie filmmaker out there, you need to get this book bankroll. It's just wonderful. It really, really is for indie filmmakers, everything you'd need um, to make your indie film. It's really, really good. And in that you mentioned that you kind of have a 30 day window after you make whether you're in a film or you make an indie film where you're kind of hot or people have got an interest in you. Do you still feel that's the same way? Well, yeah, yeah. you got to write, you got to definitely catch that buzz. You know, if you can get somebody to, uh, you know, respond and see that, you know, give it kind of that value that you have there um, to that, you know, like, I mean, there's been times where a film's coming out and I, I hadn't done anything and that was a big mistake. You know, I mean, it's when... When the film comes out, that's when you want the publicist, you want the bell rung, you know, you want somebody to, you know, you're the hot person for whatever, forever, however long, if you can keep it going. Yeah, I'd agree. The same, when, when I read that in your book, I I think I just had my first big movie as an actor come out, and I was I was over the moon, I was like, that's it, the phone's not going to stop ringing, scripts are going to come in, this is life-changing. Not one thing came in, and it was because I didn't have a publicist, I didn't have a PR person to get me out there so people could see my face and see that I was actually in the film. And and that's what you mentioned in the book, it's like, why wouldn't you? And I su- suggest that to any filmmaker now. Absolutely, you need to be doing whatever you can, whether it's getting on a podcast or um, yeah, getting some press, you have to do it. Nobody generically is just going to find your film, you know, and that's that's yeah. the thing that you have to know is that, um, it, yeah, everybody feels like it's almost like, you know, a lot of people, it's the same way with these the Kickstarter campaigns. 
um, these people that, and you know, I'm not a big Kickstarter guy or, or anything. I, I haven't really utilized the platform, but I do know that a lot of people will just launch a campaign and then hope that oh, magically 30 days from now, the money's all going to appear. <laughs> yeah, not a chance. Yeah, not unless you're a massive star. That does not happen. It just doesn't. Yeah, it's so true. Have you ever done a Kickstarter? Because a lot of your, I feel like you've invested in, you've found investors for your film rather than Kickstarter, but maybe you have. Have you done Kickstarter? No, I haven't. You know, it, I mm. think that my, the reason I, I didn't, I kind of rejected it at first is because I know the amount of work that people were putting in to get them successful. You know, like say they're going to do 50000 on Kickstarter. To get that money, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. And, I, you know, I felt that the same amount of work could go into closing one guy for $50,000 yes. or one gal for 50000 At the same time, there's another aspect of it that every Kickstarter campaign, you know how many people ask me for money all the time, like friends? And it's like, mm. it's kind of like a, you know, an Amco or Amway, you know, where like you're asking your friends and family for money. And those aren't the people that should be investing in your movies, you know? So it's like, I don't, I don't want to hit up my family and friends, you know? And, and I, so I know what you mean, but what the one good thing it does do, I think with the Kickstarter is it does make people aware of your film. That's it. You could build an audience. I remember my, you, friends build an audience, audience, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I was kind of shooting it, shooting it down. And, and they said, well, you, you're starting to get a list though. You're starting to get a list of people that are, you know, support you. And I'm like, okay, there's so, yeah, it's, I can see where there's something to be said about that. So there is so much to be said, but it is a lot of hard work. You're absolutely right. You could go get an investor during that time and really, you know, the month you'll spend doing your Kickstarter campaign, you could potentially go get an investor for 50 K. Absolutely. Um, before we get onto screamers, which I thoroughly enjoyed, it's a really cool fan footage movie. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to talk about it. I think it's really interesting and how you made it and, and how it, you know, it's perceived so far in America before it comes out. You now it's out on, uh, SVOD. And so, um, uh, Right now, you'd have to get it, you know, like where you pay for it, iTunes, uh, Google Play, like things like Amazon, uh, where it's, um, you know, where you're, you're going to subscribe to Prime and see it for free. That, that'll that be in the summer, I think. I did be about August or so. Okay. So right now, it's on uh, any of the places where you have to, to pay for it. So it's kind of, yes. you know, and also cable, like in-demand and all that stuff. Yeah. Great. Great. Good. Well, we'll come back to Screamers in a bit. Let's talk about... Obviously, your your journey as an indie filmmaker and becoming, you know, something of a, a hero in the indie film world, and what you managed to do, and and, uh, and what it, where that took you. So, let, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about uh, your first feature that you actually started to raise money for, which was the Attic. Uh, how that came about, how you actually managed to do it um, with your production company, Trick Candle Productions. Was it? Was it? Did you? Did you find it easier than you thought it would? What was the whole process there? Well, it, you know, initially came about, I had I'd had another film that I was trying to get going. I'd already made the decision that I was going to get the, you know, take the bull by the horns and get financing on my own. And um, it, you know, really wasn't working with, I, I had kind of fallen with a guy that was, um, you know, just a, a a BS artist, you know, he was just talking trash and he, he didn't, he didn't really have any power or anything, but he was kind of a manipulative guy. And so I, at that point, I just thought, what can I do? What I, I had given up so much power to him and kind of it put all the eggs in his basket that it, I was stuck. So what I did is I went and I said, okay, let me make a whole new different movie because that was a dance movie that I was developing. And so I wrote this, the attic and it kind of flowed out of me and I had the script and I just, went nuts trying to look for it because at the same time I had been married for about a year and then my wife at the time told me she was pregnant so now I'm like oh crap I got a kid on the way <laughs> like so wow. everything was you know coming down and I said all right I'm gonna I'm gonna find out what I need to do and I just kind of experimented with everything tried every approach possible you know and and, and made it work and I think I've always said that since then it's just been refining that initial approach that you know there's something to be said about if the why is big enough, um, the how it can always be doable. You know what I mean? Like you can take an example. If I said, you know, climb Mount Everest, um, it, you know, you, you think, man, that is extremely difficult. How the hell am I going to do that? And but if I made the why huge, like I'll give you ten million dollars in cash, you'd find a way to climb Mount Everest. You totally would. I'd start yes. training tomorrow. You know. So <laughs> so you can always you know inflate that 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 why. And for me, it got inflated. You know, God, now I got. I've been led down the path by this kind of crook for a couple years now, and I now I got 
I, money's tight and I got a baby on the way. And so I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like the why was so huge. I just figured it out. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. It totally does. So what did you do? How did you go about it? Well, I started reaching out to anybody I thought could um, finance, you know, like that had private equity. And yeah. so, uh, but at the same time, I started put a business plan together. And one one thing that I could highly suggest to people that are looking to, to do this for themselves, make their own movies, is try to partner with the right people. Um, you know, I remember reading that years and years ago, that partnering is the quickest way to success, you know, and I... And thankfully had written a, a, a pretty, a very good script. And I was able to get producing partners that had about maybe at that time, 20 films under their belt. So obviously yeah. they had so much more experience than I did. The only difference was I had much more experience or at least much more technique, let's just say, as far as raising money. You know, I, I, I shouldn't say experience. I had more technique. I had more, um, you know, moxie and more, I was a better, yes. salesman. I was a better salesman. They were, they were better, Nuts of both producers, but I still partnered with them, and I think that's still a tip that anybody can take. Like if you don't, if you can't do it yourself, partner with somebody. Now that doesn't mean reach out to me and say, "Tom, can you help me finance my film?" You know, that's not mm. that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying get the right people involved that'll uh, put strengths where your weaknesses are. See, that's a really good point, and I love that. I think it's very important. But there are difficulties in that with finding the right person by that I mean actually going out and going okay cool I'm looking for another producer to join me on this journey for one thing where do you find them the other thing is uh, these could also be shysters and stealers and people looking to you know throw a quick one on you and it happens a lot it's happened to me it's happened to you you know enough times which you read about in the book brilliantly so where's the best place to find these and I, I suppose over time you realize the bullshit banner you get that you kind of see it but any advice on where people can find these yeah i mean you know cause you, you hit the nail on the head that it's happened it happened to me so many times so that's that's mm-hmm. probably why i'm so good at seeing it but um you know now i identify it just way way quicker um you know by asking a certain amount of questions and, and just kind of looking people up but i think one of the best keys is is credits you know what i mean like nobody can fake credits i mean people that's can fake to a certain extent some credits, but not that many credits, you know. And, and so, if you, they have credits on IMDb, you can also Google these people, look at them, and see, you know. And, and the other thing that I always suggest, gosh, I spoke at the Producers Network in uh, Cannes, and I was saying to the the people there, they were they were asking me on how to uh, qualify distribution companies, and I said, well, with anything like a producer or any type of thing, if you want to work with somebody. Go look them up and find somebody in the past that they've worked with and then just call them or e- email them. Um, <clears throat> you know, never – I always say it's, it's a stupid practice to say, oh, hey, Giles, could you give me a list of references? And I've had businesses, you know, in the past do that or whatever. It's so stupid because it's like you're only going to give me your friends, you know. It's a, yes. it's a, a ridiculous yeah. practice. But if I just looked you up, found what you've done before and then just randomly called or emailed some of those people, um, then I could actually get a, a true estimation of who you are. Um, and the key is, I always say, when when I personally get those calls or emails, I am so happy to talk about people who are awesome, but it, I'm equally happy to talk about people who are assholes. Well, these, that's a funny thing, isn't it? That people will say, no, he's an asshole, don't work with him. People are very well, honest. Jobs, you know, the, the people that are true assholes, I have lost them jobs. People call me and I'll be like, do not work with that guy. But that, then they shouldn't, be, shouldn't be an asshole in the first place. That's the thing. But this, this business does breed a lot of that. It does breed a lot of bullshit artists. And it's, it's tough for first-time filmmakers and people trying to make their first project to get over that hurdle of these bullshit artists, even at, even at the level we're at. They're still there. They don't stop. They're, they're floating around can. You know, it's like the key is is that it, you – yeah, the, the people in the film business are desperate. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Like they really, really are passionate about what they want to get going. So they'll, they'll fall for any song and dance mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, yo, I get to do this or I get to make my movie and get my dream come true. And that's why they, they fall for it. Yeah, very true. So just coming back to the, the Attica moment then uh, – I mean, you managed to get a great cast. I mean, maybe they weren't that big a name as they are now, but Elizabeth Moss is, you know, she's huge now. You know, you got the you got the director Mary Lambert as well, who directed Pet Cemetery. Now, 
maybe you'll say at the time Elizabeth Moss wasn't big, but certainly Mary Lambert was. How did you go about attaching a big director like that and getting your cast? Well, that was, um, you know, again, that was just hiring the right people. Um, Mary, I'm not exactly sure. God, it was because it was going back. I'm not exactly sure how we got her, but I think it was through an agent friend that suggested some people to us. I see. Okay. And so that's, I think that was it. And she responded to the script. Um, now we didn't quite see eye to eye and, um, it, and, but at the time I didn't have the power to kind of control a movie like I can now. So I don't know if she did exactly the what I would want to have done with the movie. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that's neither here nor there, but Elizabeth Moss, she, yeah, she was, we had a, um, a great cast director out of New York named Judy Henderson, who is the, um, she won the Emmy for Homeland and she, it was just, again, connections. That's, again, partnering because I think Amy and Ison knew her or somehow – or maybe I knew her um, through a connection. And that it just worked out. So you had the, we had the right cast director that got us to Elizabeth and said, check out, check this garage. She's going to be a big star. Amazing. And that's what it's about. And that's really interesting you said that about connections and finding the right people. You have to go up to investors or – uh, potential high net worth individuals and talk to them about your project. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, uh, what's the best process for actually approaching them? Do you just co-call them? Do you friend of a friend, send them something first? How does it work for you? Well, a referral is always the best, you know, because then, you, you know, it's like you have somebody else talking for you is always very good. Um, so that's the number one thing versus a cold, because cold calling is, is very tough and the numbers have to be so high to before you get that you know so it's it's it, a referral is always the best so i'm always reaching out to people asking them who they know and you know can i can i get a meeting with anybody and and that you know and, and of course giving the people value for that whether it's a credit or you know a fee if, if the person invests that's that's a huge technique that i use all the time i like it yeah do, do you offer perks as well is it kind of look come to set come to the uh premiere it's all that as well it's all a package well yeah to an investor you mean or to the person that introduced me to well, I suppose both, really. Well, to the person that introduced me, it's really more of a like a some type of credit or a fee or something like that, or both, mm-hmm. or a combination of both. Uh, but for the executive producer, yeah, I mean, like that's partially the reason that almost all of them get into it. Yes, they want to make potentially make the money and potentially make the big money, but mm-hmm. many of them just want to be quote unquote in the business, you know. And it's like it, you can't say you had you know twenty million dollars sitting around. You can't just call an 800 number and get in, uh, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, the movie business. So it's, you have to know somebody that's going to take it to the next level and, and it kind of, be, so you become the conduit, you know what I mean? So, so for those, those people, um, that I've that been in my investors, it's like, I got them in the business. Like now they have celebrity friends. Now the celebrity is texting them directly and they're at the parties and like that for them is huge value. And it's, it's a world that I've introduced them to that they would have never had access before. That's a great way to think of it, actually, and it's it's very true. They want to be in that world. They love being at their parties, business events, or whatever, and they can say, oh, yeah, I produced this movie. That sounds great. It sounds cool. On the golf course, you know, say, mm-hmm. oh, I invested in, you know, the Bitcoin versus, like, you know, hey, um, Jessica Alba just called me on the phone. Like, what's going to be, you know, that's what's cooler, you know? I mean, like, yeah. everybody wants movie stars, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be a good phone call to have, for sure. Um um, speaking of, um, uh, well, we weren't, but I'm t- t- talking about anyway. The attic. Obviously, we mentioned it before. I've just remembered here on my notes. We have the same composer, uh, Mario Grigorov. He's composed. Oh. He's composed the dare, and yeah. he composed the attic. I was like, that is a good connection. He's actually worked for me a couple times, you know, and and yeah, he, I saw um, the trailer for the dare, and it looks fantastic. I did thank want to say, you, um, yeah, it really looks intense. Um, but yeah, Mario was an early friend and funny enough, he's huge now. You I know. know. He, uh, yeah. He did the, um, what's the one, not the Harry Potter, but what's after that? What's the, um, Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Right to find Fantastic them. And I mean like, so he's a huge, yeah, he um, did Precious composer. as well. Yeah. Big, and, big uh, Precious. Yeah. That's which got nominated for best picture. He's a, and he's always been a sweetheart, a great guy. Yeah, really great love guy. Him. Yeah. He did so well with the day. I love what he's done with it. So, um, yeah, some of the music you heard there, I think was some of his, though it was an early, teaser trailer so i'm not sure if some of his is on there but yeah he's done the whole score for the dare and i'm so super excited for everyone to hear it 
It's really good. Um, so then, so then from the attic, you went on and made the alphabet killer. Now the attic was. We can probably talk about it now. Was it, you'd say now a micro budget film, but back then it was you know pretty much nothing. But with with the alphabet killer, you stepped up quite a bit. Yeah, and went up to uh, you know a reasonable budget. Would you say about two mil? Was that about right? Yeah, it was about two and a half at the end. Two and of a half. Day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, was it the same process there? You, you're now going, okay, well, I need a lot of money now. Uh, how do I step up to that from what we did before? Yeah, so that's exactly what, you know, I just kind of said, um, let me look for someone who is the perfect fit to to finance this film, you know, and, and it really was. It was somebody that was um, a big fish in upstate New York where the, the killings took place. And, you know, I've, I've used this example several times that if I had pitched him, you know, his family was worth a billion dollars, you know what I mean? Like, and if I had pitched him any other, it could have been the most perfect project to shoot in any other city, he wouldn't have cared. You know, he wanted to shoot it there and because he was a big fish and he'd be an even bigger fish there, you know? Um, yeah. And on top of that, he liked true crime. So I gave him a true crime movie that we could shoot in his backyard and he loved that. So it was just the perfect timing to get the money. Perfect. Wow, uh, and you had Rob Schmidt directing it. Who did Wrong Turn? Uh, and you had Elijah Dushku in it. Carrie Ools. I pronounce it in the UK Ools, but it might not be. Yeah, El- Carrie Elways. We pronounce it. Elways. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we had yeah. Melissa Leo who got nominated for. Oh, she won the Oscar actually. Um, wow. A couple of years down the road, and then uh, we had uh, Michael, Michael Ironside. Einstein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom Noonan. I mean, what a cast we had. Tim Hutton. You know, and, and so we had some Oscar winners and people. It was a pretty big cast. For a budget of uh, under three million, you know. Yeah, back then, like, to, to to our indie film listeners now, that sounds like a lot of money. But we're talking two thousand and seven. Yeah, I'd say two thousand seven, yeah. two thousand eight. Yeah, and it, so that was like a medium sized small movie. You know what I mean? Now three million, you know, two and a half million would be fantastic. It's like Dallas Buyers Club. You know what I mean? Like, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. decent, decent money. How, how did you get the cast attached for that? Because even then, there were still big names. Elijah Dusky was was a big name. How did that happen for you? Well, again, bringing in the right people. You know, Rob Schmidt uh, knew Eliza because Eliza was in wrong turn. So that helped. And then um, we also had a pretty great cast director that I don't believe is in casting anymore. Um, But she was uh, Kelly Wagner and her partner was Nancy Nayer, who still is a very big cast director and has done tons of the, you know, the grudge and, you know, all the the hostile, all the big horror movies and all the ones that were big when we were making our movies. So they, you know, so that and Rob Schmidt, and then once we had Eliza, see now the right people in the right place, that just started bringing more and more people to the mix. And did you, what did you find different on this movie to the the, the, the sort of lower budget, The Attic? Did you have more toys? I mean, cause I know you, you produced, you wrote it as well, and you starred in it, but did you have a, a say in whether there was cranes? Did you have much, was it a bigger thing for you with the second movie? Well, I was a little bit more experienced, you know, and it, I, I was smart enough with both those films to just put myself as like a supporting role. You know, I, I was uh, mm. maybe the third biggest lead in in both films, you know, and it's like so that I did that. Like, funny enough, Tim Hutton's role is in The Attic is I got I mean, in The Alphabet Killer, I got a lot of crap for, you know, I have a kiss scene with uh, with uh, um, Eliza Dushkin <laughs> and, uh, and I got a lot of crap for that. People say, oh, did you write that scene for yourself? And it's like, no, I actually wrote tim hutton's role for myself and then once we started casting i'm like god's role is too good i gotta give it to uh you know a bigger star and mm-hmm. so i played the role that i didn't want to play but uh, right. but it worked you know. out well for you <laughs> worked out well indeed not only that but in terms of the critical acclaim you got for it you got some great reviews for both roles you played there um and that i mean that that pretty much set you on the map in a way and then people started playing a big interest in you. Um, well, yeah. Yes. What changed for you? Because, you know, studios started calling you and people were very interested in what you were doing and how you were doing it. Well, that was the thing. It was that, you know, once that, that had uh, those two films under my belt and then I started, um, then I, I was getting my movie Love and Dancing Finance and that was going. I, I just remember being in New York for, um, there was this group at the time it's called the circuit that was like of working industry professionals, producers, directors, and all that stuff. And I was like, 
oh my God, I'm the pretty girl at the prom. Like suddenly, <laughs> and I think it was because of the money, you know, is that, that I, cause I brought the money to the table and all of them had projects that they were developing, but no, nobody had a clue how to raise money. And then it was like, so everybody wanted to be my friend suddenly. And that was, that was what was different, you know, and I, I think that was a, a cool thing. And then once I, once I put the book out there, then that was like, okay, now everybody wanted to learn, um, I guess what I had figured out myself. Mm, yeah. And it was a pretty, pretty impressive journey. And I think everyone was kind of felt like the Hollywood world was very shocked by what you've done and couldn't believe it. It was very Robert Rodriguez stuff. Um, okay. except you were raising money and that's incredible. You talked about love and dancing there. Um, now this was a, you, you, maybe you can tell me the backstory here, but the, obviously there's ups and downs with this and the things that happen to actually get this made, which is a dancing film. Um, it stars yourself and you've got, um, you've got Amy Smart, you've got Billy Zane, uh, and Betty White as well. Um, yeah. it's wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, and that, that was in theatres in 2013. Um, yeah. So you talk a little bit about the journey there and how that happened. That'd be great. Yeah, well, that was that was really interesting because I had wanted, funny enough, to make a dance film for a while. Mm. Um, you know, if you know, remember I said that early on. Yeah, you danced. That, you can dance. There was another, yeah, there was a different dance movie, the guy that screwed me. So I really wanted to make this dance movie. So I made a whole new dance movie that had nothing to do with the first one. And it was like, I guess the the key there was we went after and the, the, the dance was so specific. It was a dance called West Coast Swing, and we went after investors that were people in the West Coast Swing world. And so, like the people that had a vested interest in seeing this movie go, that always wanted to see West Coast Swing on a big screen, that's where we did. I mean, we were advertising the movie at the U.S. Open Swing Dance Championships for like two years, you know, and it was nice. like we had a poster there and we would talk to anybody that wanted to talk about it. And that was a smart move. That's how we first started getting the buzz out. That's such a smart move. And actually, that's a great lesson for filmmakers out there. They've got a, a film about, I'm trying to think of something now that's out there, tap dancing and it's similar to dancing, but go to, there's plenty of tap dancing places. Tap into that, tap into their money. See what I did there. Um, into them and into their funds and their money. There's bound to be someone who's interested in seeing a, a big tap dancing film on screen um, or a golf movie or whatever it is that your movie's about. Tap into those investors, right? Is that the way, is it a good way to move forward? Yeah, because then you're going after the people that want to see that movie happening. Like think about mm -hmm. your film and think about who would benefit the most from seeing this movie made? You know, your movie's about, um, you know, I don't know, animal shelters or something like that. You know, you, yeah. who, is, who is a celebrity that uh, really supports animal shelters? Now, that person may not invest, but they may know investors or they may get behind it. They may lend their voice. They may lend their, you know, their name to the project as a producer or something like that. So oh, always try to look and see who would, who would be interested in financing it, not from a purely financial perspective, because... If purely financial, that's that's every movie out there, you know, on varying degrees, on on that pitch, you know. So you just want to be able to get give them something else, something different. So true, so good as well, um, and great when that comes off. It's so great when you can actually talk to someone who's interested in what you're interested in, and um, and the goes well. Yeah, I want to, I want in on this project. Um, yeah, it's happened to me recently, and it's very exciting. Um, so you you initially started off to keep going with your acting career, um, and now obviously you've, you you wear these three, if not more, hats. But yeah, I mean, I do it all. I, I co-own a distribution and sales company called Glasshouse Distribution, and that I was didn't one know that Glasshouse. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the that was the main reason we're in Cannes. We have an actual booth in the Palais, and we we're selling movies. The key is what I did to start is I didn't sell anything I produced. It was a completely different world. Like everything I sold was acquisitions you know you complete a film and then we we sell it and so that they those worlds didn't mix this year we finally took the company's money and actually produced a film the one i just talked about and um we're excited about it you know we got brian Krause from charmed and chase coleman from the originals and uh it looks awesome that's awesome that's what how is it uh, well trauma therapy when's that out do you know when that'll be released well, no, no, we literally didn't even finish editing it yet we okay, shot cool, it cool. you know we were done shooting like a month before can and then so it's in post i would say two more months before two more months fine fine i'll leave that. we I'll, when that's ready i'll i'll let everyone know as well so they can see that um so to, in terms of selling movies then and with glass house that must be interesting being on the other side of it that'd be really interesting for us to know 
It really is. I mean, the more you know, the more you can try to tailor a project in the future. You know, it's like if I was to produce something now, I know, you know, a little bit more about what the buyers are looking for and what their where their interests lie so that I know, okay, I, you know, I, I know I can get this from China. I know I can get this from France and this from Spain, you know, um, mm. or, or this country, Middle East, not going to buy this or whatever. You know, it's, I know those things before going in. And that's, that's really good. I mean, that was the initial motivation for me was to have my own distribution outlet so that when I can produce a film, I know I can guarantee, you know, X amount of return no matter what. That's perfect. That's, it's a clever idea, but I mean, I wouldn't suggest it necessarily for people starting out. But when you've got to your level, it's something and certainly something I'd be interested in, in the future, having that little bit more control over where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that something you did with Screamers as well? Is Screamers part of Glasshouse? Oh, Screamers was the last film that that, uh, that I really kind of um, was super close with, meaning like I didn't just produce it or just act in it. Like, I mean, that was one where I really molded myself that I didn't go through our distribution company. We have uh, Epic Pictures slash Dread Central as the distributor, um, the main distributor, and there's a foreign sales company called East West Distribution. But um, I think now, like if we produce Screamers today, we would at least sell the foreign. That's that's cool. Okay, let's talk about Screamers because I, I really enjoyed the movie. Oh, thanks. I um I, I was I, I when I was started watching it because I didn't know anything massively about it, and I was kind of blown away by how you. It, it's a, a found footage movie. Um, with in a, set in an internet company, and they decide to investigate this. Uh, Series so of screamer videos. Now, are we allowed to tell everyone what a screamer video is? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a screamer video is where you're watching something and everyone's like, pay close attention to this. Something's going to happen here. Like something innocuous. And then something will jump out at you at the screen. It's like these fun shock videos. Yeah. Uh, and in this internet company, which is all about putting videos like this online, they decide to investigate the team behind who made this particular screamer video that did very very well and lots of uh interesting things happen uh with the journey to what happened with with the journey behind it all um it, it's i really enjoyed the the characters and i think that's why it worked for me it's a it's a proper jump scare horror it's really slow burning it's yeah what what worked for me was the characters because you like them and you got to know them. And it looks like you guys are filming everything. Um, can you talk about how it came about and how you made it? Well, yeah, we wanted to, we mean myself and Dean Ronalds, the the writer, the co-writer with me and the director of the film. Who you've worked with quite a bit before in a few other films. Yeah, yeah, another movie called Ashley, he was the director on. And uh, he, would, he worked on another movie called Hero of the Underworld with me. But he... Mm-hmm was a great partner and you know we wanted to make take found footage to the next level we had felt that a lot of the found footage movies were um just i mean it was like stupid plot shaky camera bad acting you know like there was a movie called the gallows which yes just checks all three of those buttons but the bottom is but it was scary i mean i'm not going to take that away it was scary it still still makes you jump see that's the thing yeah it still sold and made money probably exactly so what i did is i wanted to take it so it was like you really blurred the lines of what's reality and what's fantasy and it was like i you know a lot of people that have seen the film and had no expectations thought that it was a tech documentary for the first for the first yeah i did i was like what what's going on here yeah Yeah. And, and then it just exactly then it just starts going uh you know off on a tangent so we our thing was no shaky camera like there's almost no shaky camera in the movie um have incredible actors you know we wanted at the top besides myself we had some great people that were just that really nailed it you did and your then, shot. can i read them out i want because i want to shout them out because they it's really well acted it felt so believable that was oh. what was good i really believed in all of you um so we obviously tom's in it uh starring in it chris bano griffin matthews emanuela galiusi galiusi yeah, Jill, um, Jill, 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 Jill. Theodora Miran and Abby Snee. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely cracking performances. And that's why people think they're watching a documentary because we, we believed in the performances. Just, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, so you got this great cast and you were kind of like, right, okay, how are we, how we actually going to shoot it? Yeah, you know, and that was it. It was like we improvised uh, pretty much all the dialogue. We, we, we made, yeah. 
we made it off about a 35 page no. outline and we you know we really really went through every aspect of the script so that we're, where nobody could poke holes and say you know why didn't the guy just pick up a cell phone there you know those little moments in a movie mm-hmm. where it's like uh couldn't have you just done this you know that and so we made sure there was none of that i mean over yeah. and over again rehearsing rehearsing and then once we got the set, it was like it, it just was flowing out of us. We all knew our characters so well, and we were in character that we knew where to go. Right. And it, it, it comes across really well. In terms of the camera work, because it does feel like you guys are holding the cameras. That was the idea behind it. How did you go about that? Because I imagine sometimes, I think Griff is actually holding the camera a few times. He is. He actually you know, is holding the camera for some so he got some training but a great guy named Mark Davis was the um, DOP for the film. Um, and just, you know, he he really knew what he wanted to get. Funny enough, I got involved, which I almost never do. I got involved with the look of the movie because I had found this camera called the Digital Bolex that, funny enough, doesn't exist anymore. But it was this <laughs> digital camera that was made to look like 16 millimeter film with the grain and everything. And so... I reached out to them and they gave me one for free. I, you know, whatever I quote unquote threw around my resume, they gave wow. me one for free and we used that. And funny enough, the company had just started and they went out of business. So I, I feel like we're the only movie shot on the digital bullets, but um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was fun and it was different. Yeah. 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 Were you doing various takes of it? Were you knowing, cause obviously you're improvising. So I'm interested to know how, cause it's this basically, this is a great way to make a, it felt, you know, it probably wasn't that low, but this kind of a independent movie where you can create something and you can create a buzz around it that feels like found footage. Did you do multiple takes? Were you kind of working on that angle with it or was it literally two cameras and let's just go for it? No, you know, we, we did, um, you know, we did multiple takes if the scene didn't feel like it worked perfectly, but so many times um, it just really nailed it. Now, Dean is notorious for never allowing one takes <laughs> which is you know it, i i don't mind i mean I, the last movie trauma therapy I, they were calling me one take tom you know because i was just just nailing it every time but he, <laughs> dean dean will not allow that and uh, he always does two no matter what and so there was always at least two and you know it's, it's sometimes rarely it took maybe four or five takes to get it right but most of the time gosh we were nailing it i mean the characters we knew our characters so much and we played them so well. And, I, you know, I felt like I was a driving force in the movie to kind of keep pushing things forward. And it just worked. Mm-hmm. Definitely did. Definitely did. Um, uh, th- I'm really looking forward to people seeing this. Technically, I think by the time this goes out, the movie is out now and you can go see it. So, uh, yeah, really check this movie out. It's called Screamers. You're going to love it. You really are. If you like these fan footage jumps, scare movies just buy into what they're doing and go with it and enjoy it because that that's that, that's what you should do it's it's a really cool film um how how did you go about getting it sold then how did you obviously the people you know and you can cut the contacts from your time but how did you get epic pictures involved how did that happen well shakhead um uh, berenson who's was like one of the co-heads of it um, they we they had come when they were just epic. They had come and seen an, a screening, an early screening, and and were interested in the movie. Then um, I was invited to uh, show the movie in South Korea at um, the Busan or Busan International Film Festival, and I went out there, and he was there, and you know I said, oh yeah, that's right, you guys saw the movie and you were interested, in, but it wasn't really you know nothing. It was like we were both like oh you know see what happens, but that maybe so this was say six months later. And by that time, they had acquired Dread Central, which is like top three horror sites. You know, I think yes. you get 1.5 million u- users unique a month. And so that was a better pitch for me. You know, it's like they're Dread Central now and they're going to release the film as a Dread Central release. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so we, we kind of softly made the deal there and closed it when we were both back in L.A. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wow. 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 And um, is it, was it, I mean, is it once you start making movies at that level and you keep doing them is it easier to get deals is it easier to get people in the room to watch your movies yes oh 100 percent. it's easier to get them to watch it make deals i will say it's not easier to raise money i mean maybe just a little bit raising money is always tough you know like we're trying to get screamers 2 going um i'm trying there's a little piece of money we need for trauma therapy very small it's like always a challenge but it's doable you know it's like you make it happen to keep grinding along and uh but on the, what you initially asked about getting people in the room, 
Oh, to see it, it's it's so much easier now. It's like there's so many places that I can take a movie once it's done that it's it's a no brainer. That's that's nice place to be. That's a really nice place to be. Congratulations from doing it, and congratulations for doing so well. Um, really good. Um, I suppose in that turn, talking about the finance there, just just to give our listeners, what's the best piece of advice you could give them um, for financing their movies? If there was any one piece. Well, the one thing that I think I know is that the the key is improving the project. You know, it's like I talk about this in the book. I talk, By the way, the book now is out of print because the publisher asked me to do a third edition. I was going to ask you, you're going to do a third edition. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do the third edition because it was just timing wasn't right. But what I did do is I put it all on online as a video series called bankrollyourmovie.com. And that's over five hours we recorded, you know, these videos and um and it's up there, so that's everything. And that's the newest stuff, you know. So bankrollyourmovie.com is everything that, you know, that I can teach you. It's $197 with a money-back guarantee, and you get – it's 81 videos, <laughs> over five hours of, of instruction that you can obviously go back. And once you pay, you go back and you can watch them again. Amazing, amazing. I recommend doing that. If it's anything like the book, it is worth your money. Much um, more files and everything you get business that it's much more comprehensive so yeah great and i i keep harping on improving the project like improving meaning you know attachments business plan you know uh pitching more and more and so each time as you're improving it you're getting better and better as far as you know selling the movie and then just the right people will start to appear um in your life uh that that you could potentially fund the movie brilliant absolutely fantastic advice screamers is out now yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Honestly, it's so much fun. I really enjoyed myself watching it. And I was watching it on my own, and I was a little bit terrified. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tom, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Happy to, happy to be here. Happy to be on the podcast. Thank you. Where can people follow you um, online? What's your social handles? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, TomMalloy.com is my website. Um, glasshousedistribution.com as you can see the movies that we represent um, but really Twitter Tommy Malloy that's uh, I, I gotta get better tweeting but uh, I'm up there <laughs> good good so follow him there and uh, yeah tweet him tweet him about the podcast and his uh, wonderful advice he's given us and um, what about you mentioned earlier about you know getting emails from people or getting scripts from people what's the best way to approach you if someone does want to talk to you? Because I know that you help people with their projects. I know you come on board projects as a, a kind of mentor, necessarily associate producer, but I know you do that as well. What, but what is the best way for people to to actually get your attention with a project? Well, you know, a script is a little tough now, you know, if um, unless there's some value behind it. You know what I mean? Like you have an actor attached, you have some money behind it. Um, but, you know, we have our own acquisitions guy now for the company, uh, David Lawrence, uh, so he's with Glasshouse, he's David at GlasshouseDistribution.com, and you can always reach out to him to try to see, and if you have a completed film, yeah, we're always interested in seeing completed films, but as far as script stage, that's a lot tougher at this point, because we have so many projects that we're doing that are farther along, that it's just tough to get a script, you know, it's tough to get it from script stage, unless it's, you know, the greatest script ever written, um, <laughs> but even then, even then, even yeah, then. but even then, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that. So do go to bankrollyourmovie.com. Check out all the info there uh, and see what Tom's talking about. And he does know what he's talking about. The film Screamers out now. Check it out. Um, I'll let everyone know when Trauma Therapy is out as well or released, or at least you can see the teaser trailer. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Uh, and you guys, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate your time and effort in listening to this as well. Um, remember, to make your film, you have to go out there, you have to work hard and make it happen. And if you do do well and rise up, it's your duty to send the elevator back down. Until next time, thank you. Bye-bye.